the person. You see, there's there's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. Throughout life, you'll meet many people. And you may have knowledge of who they are, but you cannot say you know them. You know their family. You know their family name. You may be able to tell a few facts about them that you know, but you don't know that person. We, we throw around that word very lightly. That word to know goes deeper than have knowledge of. But let's take someone, uh, how, many, how many is it in this building have been married 40, more than 40 years? We have a few couples that have been married more than 40 years. You know what? They can say they know their spouse. You know why they can say that? It's because they've weathered some storms and they've been with them through the highs They've been with them in the lows. They've seen their spirit rise, and they've seen their spirit fall. I'm not talking about being able to order a drink for them when they're at a restaurant, okay? You can do that after a few dates. But they've been with them through some hard times. They've been with them through some trying circumstances. And so that knowledge of that person that they're in a relationship with is deeper than just superficial knowledge. And Paul, in speaking of the Lord in this particular verse, he says that I may know him. In fact, let's back up just a little bit. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said, hey, I had a lot of stuff to my name. There were things that I gained on this earth. There were things that I possessed on this earth. But I lost everything that I identified myself by. But I counted as dung if I may obtain Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. How do you want to know him, Paul? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, we want to talk about living for God, and we only want to know God in the high times. We only want to be associated with God when things are going great. We want to, we want to be like the prophet that called down fire from Baal, uh, upon the prophets of Baal, and be used by God in that dimension. But if we're going to know God, we got to know him in the power of his resurrection. But we also have to be able to identify him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Everybody wants the good part of living for God. Everybody wants the blessings of God. Everybody wants to be able to shout and, 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 to, and to hear the music and to say we've had great church. But that's not what living for God is all about. It's what happens outside these doors when you walk and you live for Christ that makes you and makes your relationship with God. 
And you take someone that's been living for God 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, that person has the ability, if they're truly living for God, to say, I know the Lord. You know why? Because they've been with God through the high times. But then they've been with God through the low times. And, and, and they were made conformable unto his death, in the likeness of his death. And they can say, you know what, through it all, I'm still standing for the Lord. I'm still walking with God. It gets sweeter as the day goes by. My friend, if we're going to know the Lord like he wants us to know him, we can't just want to know him in the high times, but we got to be faithful in the low times. we got to be faithful in the seasons that we don't like. we got to be faithful in the seasons where God is pruning and God is cutting and God is making us into who he wants us to be. That I may know him. That's our objective today. Our objective is to know him. I want to be so close to the Lord that when I transition over to the other side of glory, it's not something new to me. It's the same presence that I walked with on this earth. It's the same friend that I visited with in my prayer closet. It's the same God that has seen me through every I don't want to get up there and say, oh, I, I, I don't know who this is. This is something new to me. One thing that I, I admired about some of the men, there was one man that I used to preach for all the time. He was one of the most challenging men to ever have to deal with on the face of the earth. But he taught me more about living for God than anybody else taught me. I've never heard him preach without him crying. He was so tender. And he would, in, in mid-sentence, he'd start weeping and talking about the goodness of God and everything that the Lord had brought him through. He was so close to the Lord. And you talk to elders that have been doing this thing for a long time, and, and they don't stop praying. Someone asked Brother Tenney one time, how long do you pray, Brother Tenney? And this is what he said. I never pray longer than 30 minutes, but I never go 30 minutes without praying. Because prayer was not a time of the day that he went and, and, and put a check by, by, that, by, by, by that bucket list prayer. But prayer was something he did throughout the day. Just riding in the vehicle, talking to the Lord. Going to church, talking to the Lord. Had a relationship with God. He'd been with God through high times, and he'd been with the Lord through low times. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Put it on the screen, please. Matthew 16, beginning with verse number 13. Let's see. I might get there faster. The Lord was walking with his disciples, and this is what he said in verse 15, verse 13. When Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, am? I, the Son of Man, am? This is him talking to his disciples, and he's wanting to know, Who do men say that I am? That means, Who does the world think I am? He's talking typology of the world. And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So then he brought it closer. He saith unto them in verse 15, but whom say ye that I am? My question to you tonight is who is he to you? 
It's not about what he is to somebody else. But who is he to you? Is he someone you talk to? Is he someone that you confide in? Is he someone that you run to only when you need something in your life? That's not the role that he wants to fill. He wants to be the person that you run to when you don't need anything. He wants to be the person that you run to when you just want to tell him how wonderful he is, how awesome he is, not just what can you get out of him. We've got to know him in the power of his resurrection, but we've also got to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I don't want to focus tonight on the power of his resurrection because uh, we, we, we're well aware of what it's like to just be with him in the high time. But there's two dimensions of his sufferings that I want to deal with tonight, and I want to just talk just for a few moments. If we're going to know God, we've got to know God through the pain of affliction. Nobody wants to know God through the pain of affliction. Because we've got a hard time putting God and pain in the same sentence. We've got a hard time thinking that God, who, who, who can do anything and owns cattle on a thousand hills and knows what I need before I even ask, how can this God, who is a God of love, allow so much pain into a person's life? Could you just simply think with me? That, that Jesus who was perfect in every way, Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who didn't deserve to die, Jesus who in whom was found no guile, even Jesus wrestled with the fact that the will of God allowed pain in his life. For he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Father, if it be possible, that was the flesh of Jesus talking to the Spirit of God. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And it was the flesh of Jesus saying, God, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, if there's any other way for your will to be accomplished without me having to go through what I know I'm fixing to have to go through, then I'll take that road. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is God. So don't beat yourself up because you question the will of God at times. Don't beat yourself up just because your flesh doesn't want to go through what the will of God is trying to lead you through. Just have a nevertheless moment just like Jesus had where he transitioned from what his flesh wanted to what the Spirit of God wanted because he understood if I could just make it through this, I'm going to be more like God. I'm going to be closer to my Father. I'm going to fulfill something on this earth. I can say it like this. I've never felt closer to God than when I was broken and I was in tears. I've never felt like God loved me more than when things were going wrong in my life. Just like when a child is broken and is crying 
and, 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 and they crawl up in daddy's arms or they crawl up in mama's arms. They know that whenever thing is going wrong in my life, there's a safety that brings me closer to my father. You want to feel God and you want to be close to God, it's not going to happen in a shout. It's going to happen through affliction. James chapter 5, verse number 10 James 5, I'm hurrying. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender not just Job, but even the prophets, what they had to go through. Yet you see that God rewarded them in spite of everything they went through. Job ended up with twice of what he started with, but look at what he had to go through to get it. See, you can't know God like he wants to know you and avoid affliction and pain. We take adversity in our life, and we, we equate it as, what did I do wrong? But God's looking at it and saying, maybe you did something right. Maybe you're in a spiritual level that I know you weren't here last year or the year before, and now I can trust you with this trial. I can trust you with this adversity. I can trust you with this pain. You see, a blessing too soon is not a blessing at all. And if God would allow that to come two years ago in your life, it would have killed you. It would have crushed you. Driving a vehicle is a good thing. A driver's license is a great thing, but not at 10. Because they can't handle it at 10. So they have to wait until they're at a level where they can handle that. And that thing God's trying to do in your life, you didn't go through it five years ago because it would have crushed you. You didn't go through it two years ago because you weren't ready for it. But now you're at a place where God says, okay, I can trust you. You've already proven yourself, and now you're going to go through it again. You're going to go through this season. You're going to go through this trial. But don't get mad at God. Just realize that I'm drawing closer to God. Whatever your, whatever your situation is, you've got to realize God's drawing me closer to him. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, for our light affliction, light. Paul looked at it and said, everything that I've been through is light. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. But for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. If you're going to know God in the fellowship of his suffering, you've got to have a willingness to be patient through the problem. Be patient through the problem. Because the problem is part of the process to perfect you to receive the promise. Everything God does is about process. Process. Timing. Growth is a process. You realize every day you wake up and look in the mirror, you're growing. 
You don't see it unless you stand on the scale. So just don't stand on the scale. But every day you wake up, you're growing. It's so subtle. It's so small. But every day you're growing. And in a year, you can tell the difference. Every day in living for God, you should be growing. You should be growing. You should be growing, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the power of your mind. You should be growing to become more like him. So you got to know him through the power of affliction, through the pain of affliction. But here's another one God wants to know, wants us to know him in. Through the pain of repentance. Repentance is not pleasing to the flesh. It's gratifying to the spirit, but it's not pleasing to the flesh. And Exodus 13, 17, this is what the Lord said in talking about the children of Israel. Exodus 13, 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. To get an understanding of what repentance truly is, you have to look at the context of this verse. This is the first time that I found where the word repent was mentioned in the Bible. And God's saying that I had to bring them this way lest they see the Philistines and they repent. In other words, the children of Israel are going this way and they see opposition and they repent or turn away and walk that way. That's what repentance is. Repentance is simply just turning away and walking a different direction. Repentance is not something you do once. Repentance is a direction that your life must go every day. And we treat repentance too often as I repented. No, that's not something I did when I got salvation. That was part of it. But that's not the only time I do it. Every day I have to live a repented life. And, and this is why Paul said, I die daily. Because every morning you wake up, that old carnal man wants to get up with you. Every day you wake up, that old man wants to raise its head and wants to, and you're in a battle to see which one's going to lead you that day. Either you're going to walk the way that you used to walk and dabble in things that you used to dabble in, or you're going to just walk away from that lifestyle. You're going to walk away from that mindset, and it's not going to be pleasing to the flesh. It's not going to be pleasing to the flesh. But this is what Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. I tell you, nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What causes people to want to repent? 2 Corinthians 7.10 answers that. For godly sorrow 
worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. What is godly sorrow? In simplest terms, it's this. It's not being sorry that you got caught. It's being sorry that you did it. You know, some people are sorry they got caught. But they're not sorry they did it. But godly sorrow is something that happens on the inside where you say, Lord, I'm sorry I even did this because I brought a reproach to the name of Jesus. You don't even have to be caught to be sorry. You could be convicted and be sorry. You know, God sometimes, he loves people so much, he'll expose them to save them. He'll jerk the curtain back because it's an opportunity for that person to get things right with him. And they have the opportunity to look at it as being mad at God or being thankful that he loved them enough to set them back where they need to be set. We have to live a repentant life. It's painful because that old flesh doesn't want to do it. But you've got to crawl back up on that altar. Go to 2 Timothy 3. 1 through 5, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Got it. All right. This know also that in the last days, that's where we're living, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. That's the people that, that they can look at on the outside, but deny the power thereof from such turn away. Do you realize that there are people that can fool everybody on the outside, but the power is not operating because they're not living a repented life because power cannot mingle with perversion. Power cannot mingle with sin. And so the, the, the power is denied in people's life because they're not willing to live a repented life. And there are things, if we're not careful, that God has delivered us from and done a work in our life, but we'll go back to. Go to Galatians 2 and 18. Galatians 2, you probably don't have it because I added that up here. If you'd have had it, I'd have thought that was the Lord. This is what Paul said. For if I build again the things which I destroy, in other words, God did a work in my life. I repented. There were things that I tore down in my life. But he said, if I build those things that God helped me deal with, I myself have become a transgressor. You start studying out what a transgressor is. Transgressors are those that won't keep their word. And they don't have a part in the kingdom of God. 
Because they say, I'm going to do this, and then they go and they do this. I'll never do this again, but they go and do it again. Do you realize that when you come to God for the first time and you and God helps you destroy all of that junk in your life and then things start going good, if you start building again the things that God tore down, that you're a transgression, you're not keeping your word. That's why every day we've got to, we've got to have a repentant spirit. Every day we've got to have a repentant life. Every day we've got to say, God, I don't want to just know you when things are good. I want to be able to go to that altar. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, the first thing you've got to do is deny yourself. Take up your cross and then follow him. Every day. You know what that means? That means his agenda is more important than my agenda. His will is more important than my will. His kingdom's more important than my kingdom. If we want to be like Christ, the Bible says in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. How could he be exalted? Because he first humbled himself. God can never raise you up until you first put yourself down. You cannot be exalted in his kingdom and be used in his kingdom like he wants to use you as long as you're worried about your reputation, as long as pride dictates what you do. But when you crawl on that altar, you say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. Then God can begin to use you like he wants to use you. Stand with me all over this building that I may know him. That's, that's the whole reason we're here tonight. It's because we want to know God in the fullness of his glory. Sister Joyce, if you'd come, I, I, just, I, I just feel like you'd be pleasing to the Lord if we found a place that we could just spend some time putting some things in order with the Lord. I want to open up these altars. You don't have to come to the altar. You can kneel where you're at. But I felt just such a conviction in my spirit this evening. Whose kingdom am I worried about the most? Am I worried about my kingdom? Or am I worried about God's kingdom? Come on, church, find you a place to pray. Let God do some work in your life. God, we want to know you. God, we want to 